Tonight we continue our evening series through the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 3. Last time together we looked at Adam's first sin in its various aspects. Today we look at the curses or the punishments that God imposes upon the serpent and upon mankind in their sin. So we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, under the theme of Christ and the curse. As you turn there and prepare to read, I remind you that these are not merely the words of a man, of Moses, but the inspired, the infallible, the inerrant words of the Lord God himself. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Thus far, God's word this evening. Let us now pray. Our gracious Lord, what a sad portion of Scripture we have before us, in which the blessedness, the blessing of fellowship in innocence and perfection between God and man was broken by the fall. And instead of joy and blessing, there is instead curse and misery and pain. Instead of life, there is death. Lord, we read in these words that which characterizes our life every day in all that we do. But it also reveals to us a promise, the promise of a curse bearer, a redeemer, a seed of the woman who will take our death, who will remove our sin, who will absorb this curse and restore us to life and light. Help us to see Jesus, the new Adam, revealed in these pages, and may we have faith in him. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes God's discipline of us hides grace. That principle is summed up in the words of a hymn that you might be familiar with. Behind a frowning providence, there hides what? A smiling face. God is able to bring good out of evil. His discipline may be painful for a moment, but as the scripture says, afterwards, what's it produce? A harvest of righteousness for those that have been trained by it. Indeed, discipline reminds us that we are sons of God. God disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline, although it presents itself to us as painful, actually contains a hidden grace. Sometimes he does that to spare us greater misery and greater sin. 
He might catch us in a lesser transgression, knowing full well that if he didn't, we'd run headlong into greater transgressions. Sometimes he allows bad things to happen to us to restrict us, to limit us, to restrain us from having the full ability to run headlong into the seeds of sin in our hearts. Now, why is it important to remember that? Well, because here in Genesis 3, verses 14 to 19, on its face, we have that which is quite painful. It's the revelation of the misery that will result from the estate of sin into which man has fallen. And what characterizes it? Well, it's pain. The woman has pain in her childbearing. The man has pain as he eats of the fruit of the ground all the days of his life. And in addition to pain, there is death. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Pain, toil, death, and curse. It's a judgment. It's a punishment. But it hides a grace. In each of these three curse pronouncements, there is hidden, by way of promise, hope for deliverance from this estate of sin and misery. In God's curse upon the serpent, there is the promise of a seed of the woman that will crush his head. To the woman, there is pain pronounced, but from her will come the fruit of her womb. Adam will have pain and toil, yet some fruit will still come from his labors. Hidden, sometimes obscured in the misery of the curse, is the hope of hidden grace and blessing. Tonight, I want to meditate with you on these curse sanctions pronounced upon the serpent to the woman and to the man, understanding what they are, what they mean, but also how they reveal to us the hidden grace to be revealed in Jesus, the last Adam, the second man, who will free us from misery and curse and bring us anew to the paradise of God. So there's two things we want to do tonight. First, we need to analyze carefully the structure of the passage, because the structure is important for discerning that hidden meaning. So first, we'll look at the structure of the passage. And then secondly, we'll look at Christ as he is hidden within the three curses to the serpent, the woman, and the man. Let's first of all consider together the structure of this passage, verses 14 to 19. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, the idea of the structure and order of the passage is very important in the whole passage, because, of course, it reveals to us something important that occurs through sin and then God's intervention. And do you remember what that principle was? It was the fact that sin disrupts God's order. God's order was God over all, with man and woman serving him as king over creation and the animals under their dominion as they subdued all things to God's glory. The structure was God, man, woman, animals. But when sin entered the world, how did Satan subvert that order? Well, he took the form of a snake, an animal, and he tempted the woman, who then led the man into sin, who, of course, forgot and rejected God entirely. You see the difference? God, man, woman, animals. And in Satan's order, it's flipped around. Animals, woman, man, without God entirely. And now, of course, God is reimposing the order. Reimposing the order as he first interrogates in verse 8, the man, then the woman, then the serpent. And when he pronounces curse, flips it around again, showing indeed that Satan's 
revised order is cursed and God's order is reimposed. So it's already seen how Moses, in crafting Genesis 3, uses this principle of structure and order to reinforce his point. But now when we zoom in to verses 14 to 19, another pattern emerges. And as simply as we can state it, the pattern is what we call a reverse parallelism. Okay? And the pattern, if you were to put letters on it, it would be this. A, B, A. What's that mean? It means that the first and the last curse sanctions pronounced to the serpent and to the man are parallel to one another. They have similarities. Placing the woman in the center with a kind of central focus upon her. That's the pattern. It's an A-B-A -A parallel. How does that work? Well, first we'll look at just the details to show that this pattern is there. And as we go through the passage, we'll note the significance of this. Now, what jumps out at you in terms of the statement of God to the serpent in verses 14 and 15, and then his statement to Adam in verses 17 to 19? What do they have in common, especially compared to his relatively brief word to the woman in chapter 16? Well, I think the first thing that jumps out at us is the length of these passages, Verses 14 to 15, the Lord's words to the serpent are longer than his words to the woman, as are God's words to Adam. So in other words, we have a long pronouncement of curse in verses 14 to 15, a long pronouncement of curse to Adam in verses 17 to 19, and then a brief one. So it's A-B-A, -A, and we could say it's long, short, and long. I counted up the Hebrew words, and unless I missed one or miscounted, the first section has 34 words, the last section has 45 words, but the middle section to the woman has only 13 Hebrew words. That stands out. Two long sections surrounding a short section, but there's more than that. Because how does verse 14, when we get to the exact words that God pronounces to the serpent, what word comes first? Well, it's the word because. And the word because in Hebrew is the word ki. There you go. You learned a little bit of Hebrew tonight. It's the word ki. It would be K-I, not K-E-Y, like key that unlocks a door, but it's the word ki. Well, look down at verse 17. How do God's words to Adam begin? Exactly the same way, with the word ki, because. It doesn't appear in God's word to the woman. So we have long, short, long, but also two sections that begin with a word because and one in the middle that does not. Okay, interesting, but still not all that significant. I mean, come on, does that really prove a parallel? Not on its own, but let's note a couple other things. Note in both the first word to the serpent and the last word to Adam, there is a common theme regarding the dust and the ground. In verse 14, the serpent is told, dust you shall eat, note, all the days of your life. Note verse 17, cursed is the ground, dirt or dust because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Do you see the parallel? Both with reference to the ground, to the dust, shall eat all the days of their lives, not in blessedness, but in curse. 
Moreover, in verse 19, in the second part, we explicitly have the same Hebrew word, dust, that's used with reference to the serpent in verse 14, for you are dust, and to dusts, dust you shall return. We could also note the reference to the field, the beasts of the field in verse 14. And likewise, Adam is told that he will eat the plants of the field, verse 18, another parallel. You see what's going on? Not just in the length, not just in the way it begins, but in the themes of the passage. The serpent and the man are parallel. What's going on here? Well, we'll we'll get into a lot more detail about this, but I think this is what's going on. God is coordinating, aligning the serpent with the man. They are parallel in the curse pronounced upon them. The serpent is cursed with respect to the ground, and the ground is cursed with respect to Adam's labor. Do you see what God is doing? In the fall, Adam aligned himself with the serpent and betrayed God. Now in the curse, the fruit of that comes forth. Misery, pain, and toil. As with the serpent, so with his new son. The serpent will be cursed in the ground. The man will be cursed in the ground. All the days of his life he will eat dust. All the days of his life he will have fruitless labor. The serpent will be destroyed. How? Kids, how is the serpent going to be destroyed based on this passage? Does a cat kill the snake? You ever seen cats fight snakes? It's an amazing thing. You don't think cats have good reflexes? Go on YouTube and watch a cat fighting a snake. Cats are, or snakes are pretty fast, aren't they? They're not as fast as a cat. Watch it in super slow-mo. The cat whaps that snake in the face, and the snake runs away. The snake is not killed here by a cat. How is it killed? By a heel stomped on the ground. The serpent's death will come to the ground. The ground for the serpent is the place of death. So also with the man. The ground which was to be the source of life for him in creation now becomes the place of death. You will eat bread by the sweat of your face till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man and the serpent are aligned. Aligned in rebellion and aligned in judgment. Aligned in curse, aligned in death. But that leaves Eve, in verse 16, with a special, unique place. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I think that's the point. The structure of the passage aligns Adam and the serpent together in their sin and in their punishment. But it leaves a central focus upon the woman and her role in the future redemption of man. Well, let's get into that and look at it in more detail in our second point as we look at Christ and each of these curses. First of all, let's consider more in detail his words to the serpent. We'll look first at the serpent, then to the man who's aligned with him, and then finally we'll answer the question, why the special emphasis on the woman? Now, what is declared here about the serpent? Well, clearly, a definitive defeat is pronounced against the serpent. 
He has arrayed himself and his forces in rebellion against God. But is he going to win? No. No. A defeat of the serpent has been promised. The seed of the woman shall bruise your head even as you bruise his heel. Why is that significant? Well, we've been looking at the book of Revelation and what is very clearly stated about the book of Revelation, about the devil in that book. Well, namely that he's fighting a losing battle, correct? He's been dealt a mortal blow. He's been cast down from heaven and defeated. Now, that doesn't make him give up. That makes him rage all the more. But Christ in his cross dealt a definitive blow to the devil, which means that we can withstand his fury. He's going to lose in the end, although he's going to make things miserable while he's going down. That definitive defeat accomplished in the cross of Jesus was prophesied and promised all the way in the beginning. Mankind knew that the devil would come to defeat. Indeed, the curse is pronounced upon him. And what does that curse imply? What is a curse? A curse means that all your efforts will not come to fruition. You'll work in a field, even as the ground is cursed for Adam. You'll work in that field, but will the fruit come from it? No, it won't. You, as, as the prophets later say, it'll be like you have a bag and you're putting money in it, but there's holes in the bottom of the bag, right? That's like providing for a family, right? If you fathers, you work, you make money, right? And then you, you go, okay, where's all the money? And you go to your bank account, it says zero, right? The money just goes away quickly. It's also boats, right? Same thing is true of boats and other hobbies. They're, they're holes. They're bags with holes in it. You just keep dumping money in and you don't have any fruit that comes to it. Well, that's, that's what curse is. It means that you're doomed to harsh labor but never have anything come from it. That is now characteristic of all the devil's work. He is cursed. That means although he may rage and array his forces against mankind, he's not going to win. Of course, that doesn't stop him. He keeps at it, but nevertheless, he's cursed. He'll be frustrated. But notice also about the serpent, his curse is with respect to the lower part of creation. Cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, why is that a little ironic and significant? Well, who is the devil? What is he? Where did he come from? He's a fallen angel. And where were the angels? They weren't down low on earth. They were in heaven. Now, Satan was a shrewd one, already rebelled against God. And he decided in a crafty way to take the form of a serpent to better trick Adam and Eve. But look what God does in curse. He says, okay, you want to take the form of a serpent? Well, now you're permanently going to be stuck there. And instead of being in the heights of heaven where you want to be above God, because that's what the devil wants. He wants to displace God. You will be thrown down to the earth, stuck there and cursed there. Indeed, we see here from the beginning the principial frustration of all the works of the devil. What an encouragement to know that. Because the devil's intimidating and he's quite powerful in the power of our flesh. 
is quite alluring to us, and sometimes we seem overwhelmed by it, like we cannot resist temptation. We think we just might as well give up. What force can defeat this? Brothers and sisters, Jesus, we've seen, we're privileged to live in the fullness of time when the devil's been definitively defeated. But from the beginning, God's promise had already made that a certainty. Indeed, curse is pronounced upon the serpent, upon him in his life on the ground. But more than that, hidden within this curse, <coughs> hidden within his defeat, is the promise of a coming Savior, a seed of the woman. Indeed, we see Christ revealed in this curse upon the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's this referring to? Well, enmity has to do with conflict. There's a principle of conflict that will now characterize mankind throughout its history. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Now, why is that a blessing? Well, when the serpent first came to Adam and Eve and tempted him, was there any conflict between man and Satan? Nope. Satan said, ah, you won't surely die. Instead, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And what did Eve say? And what did Adam say? Sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. There's no conflict. There's no battle. There's no frustration of the devil's work. He quickly has his victory and has his sway. But what we will see, beginning in Genesis 4, is the conflict between two lines, the children of God and the children of the devil, represented emblematically in Cain and Abel. Cain being a son of the devil who murders his brother, Abel being a child of God who walks by faith. Indeed, we'll see that tension between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent move throughout history until the fullness of time comes when Jesus arrives. And in the book of Galatians, what does it tell us about Jesus coming? Except that he was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus is the seed of the woman, and in him we become children of God. And through him and through his power, the defeat promised to Satan will come to fruition. Romans 16, verse 20, declares that in Christ, the church has this promise, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Indeed, this mother promise is the seed of all other messianic promises. Genesis 3, chapter 15. Jesus is that seed of the woman will bring the fullness of curse on the devil, not just casting him to the ground, but where? Into the bottomless pit and the lake of fire. He was consigned to the lower regions of the earth and curse in the end will be consigned to the lower regions of the whole cosmos in eternal punishment forever. Christ is the hidden grace in the curse on the serpent. But there's also a curse to the man, again, coordinated to the serpent. In verse 17 to 19, we read about that. And what is the curse upon man? Well, note particularly, man himself is not cursed. The devil is, because you have done this, cursed are you, verse 14. But to Adam... No direct curse is pronounced. Instead, what is cursed? The ground. 
the ground. Because you have sinned, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, that's not fun for him, is it? Because what does that mean? It means pain and toil. Instead of nice, juicy, delicious fruit, he gets to eat thorns and thistles. Now, kids, think about that. When you wake up in the morning, do you like to eat breakfast? Yeah, I think you do. A lot of you kids do. And what are some of your favorite things to eat for breakfast? I, when I was a kid, I liked donuts for breakfast. It's breakfast of champions. Cereal. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is my favorite cereal of all time. I don't eat sugar anymore, and I, I don't really have a tape flavor for it, but when I walk by the grocery store and I see Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I go, man, that sounds really good. I'd love a nice big bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And you know what I like? I liked really cold milk. I would freeze my bowl as a kid and then put the milk in that frozen bowl so it would be nice, nice and cold. I know I'm super spoiled. You know, all the people in my life, it's like, we can't make you happy because you spoiled yourself and your mom spoiled you. Yeah, that's what happened, right? We like to eat tasty, wonderful things, donuts, pancakes, waffles. You guys getting hungry yet? Kids, you want to go to bed early when you go home tonight. Make it easy on your parents so you can have a nice breakfast in the morning. Well, imagine that instead of Cinnamon Coast Crunch and donuts and tasty treats, you got a big bowl of toasted thorns and thistles. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like maybe eating some toothpicks. That would hurt your gums. Well, that's the difference between Adam before the fall and after the fall. All this labor he will pour himself into that will bring forth no fruit for him. The ground that he needs to sustain his life is now cursed. Oh, he'll get some fruit, but just enough to survive until he must sleep in the dust of death. In other words, I think a word that sums up the experience of this curse in their lives, especially for man, is frustration. Men, fathers, do you ever feel frustrated? Do you ever feel like your whole life is filled with work, 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 pain, and toil, but never quite being able to enjoy the fruit of it? Instead of the contentment, the joy of labor that bears fruit, you are left with the fatigue of your labors and the disappointment that things are not what you hoped they'd be. And add to that the fact that those in your life around you that depend upon you aren't particularly happy with the situation either. And what are you left with? Frustration. That's the curse in your work. See, what the Bible describes here is real life. It's our experience every day. The ground, the earth, has been cursed. Misery and pain are our lot in life. Now, to be sure, the woman also has pain, pain in her childbearing. But isn't this interesting? Because if you're a married couple, what is one of the things you might have arguments about or struggles with? Well, it's that you both have pain, but the other one just doesn't quite seem to understand the pain you're experiencing. Of course, a woman who has pains in childbearing, can her husband relate to that? No. 
Now, from afar, maybe he can, but never in a way that a woman can say, yes, he really gets what I have to go through. And what does that lead many women to do? Not women in this church, but many women to do. Well, they resent their husbands, or they resent men generally, because, of course, they don't have to deal with the pains of childbearing. Of course, the man on his side has pain too. Pain in his work, pain in his responsibilities. And, of course, is he able to relate that to his wife? No, she has difficulty relating to that because that's not her experience. What should be the case when two people experience mutual pain? What should we, what should we express to one another? Mutual sympathy. But what happens in the context of a cursed world and a curse that affects marriage? Instead of mutual sympathy in our pain, we have resentment, alienation, and conflict. Frustration builds upon frustration. That's our life. That's our life. That's the curse experienced by the man and indirectly by the woman as well. But indeed, what misery. What difficulty. No fruit, but fruitlessness. God put fruit trees in the garden. They naturally bore fruit. Those fruit trees are gone. It's only thorn bushes. It's only thistles. Ah, but hidden within the misery that man experiences is the hope of one who will come and remove it from him, namely Jesus. Adam was the federal head. He was the first man from the earth. But implied in this text is the coming of a second man, a last Adam, from heaven. And that last man, when he comes, will be the image of God. Adam created after the image of God in the beginning, Jesus coming in the fullness of that image. And Jesus will come to remove and bear this curse on the first man. That's what we see, don't we? All his life long, what did he experience? Pain, toil, and frustration. Indeed, all his life he faithfully proclaimed the kingdom of God, but what was the fruit of his labor up to his crucifixion? All his disciples abandoned him, and he was put to death by sinful men. And when he finally died, where did they lay him? They laid him in a tomb. But do you remember what also was there in that place where he died? Do you remember what was there near the tomb where they laid him? The Apostle John tells us in chapter, John, in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, verse 41, that in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Why is that significant? Because this Jesus came to a new garden, bearing the curse, the misery, the pain of the fall, absorbing it into himself, and being laid in that dust, which would be the new womb for man. And out of that womb, new life would come in resurrection. Hidden in the curse pronounced to Adam are the very things that Jesus will suffer. Indeed, when he hung on the cross, what did they put on his head? Not a crown of glory, 
but a crown of thorns. The thorns, the thistles, the pain, and the toil were borne by him, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He'll bear the curse. He'll remove it from us. Indeed, we look forward, as Romans 8 indicates, when the creation itself will be delivered from this frustration and enjoy the glorious freedom of the children of God. Christ accomplishes the curse and defeat to the serpent. He absorbs the curse upon Adam, bringing life out of death. But that leaves us with a woman in verse 16. And you'll note what's unique about the woman. She's not without pain. She experiences the effects of curse, but with a difference. The serpent had curse directly pronounced upon him. Cursed are you above all livestock. Adam experiences curse indirectly through the ground, which is his primary domain of labor. Cursed is the ground because of you. But to the woman in verse 16, is there any mention of a curse upon her? There's no curse. Oh, she'll have pain. Ladies, you're not exempted from the effects of sin and and in need of as much sympathy as everybody else. But I'm noting the absence of the term curse. Curse for the serpent. Curse in connection with man, but no curse pronounced on Eve. Why? Adam's labors end in death. Dust you are, and dust you shall return. But to the woman, a different task is given. Do the woman's labors end in death? What does Adam name his wife? Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. No curse pronounced on the woman. Pain, yes, but no curse. From her womb, from her labor, will not come death, but new life. From her womb will come not curse, But through her work of childbearing, blessing will come to her, to her husband, and to all the children of God. That's why when Jesus is born, as Paul describes in the book of Galatians, we are told that he was, when the fullness of time had come, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Galatians 4, verse 4. From Eve would come the Savior. Notice, the man will not be the Savior. His labors, his working, his good works will not produce salvation for man. They will only end in death. It is through the woman, through her womb, that new life will come. And what will that son born of her do? He will redeem us from the curse. How? Galatians 3, verse 13. He will redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Notice, not just bearing the curse, but becoming the curse. So identifying with our sin 
vicariously, although he was not guilty of any of it, so identifying with our misery and our pain and our death that he absorbs it all and through the woman brings life and blessing to the world. Now, it's very interesting in the book of Revelation because, of course, the woman is symbolically represented there in that story of the woman and the dragon. And you'll notice what happens through God's grace. You remember the story? I know it was a few weeks ago. But in Revelation chapter 12, we read about it. And the dragon seeks to devour the woman and devour the the child. And notice in verse 15, it says, The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after a woman to sweep her away with a flood. But what does God do? It says in verse 16 of Revelation 12 that the earth came to the help of the woman, opened its mouth, and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Why is that an important detail? Because the ground that was cursed to bring death to Adam opens up and swallows the waters of the flood that would bring death to the woman and to the child. The ground that was cursed, that brought death, through God's grace, brings protection and blessing. Indeed, do we not see here in Genesis chapter 3, in these cursed sanctions pronounced upon man, yes, the life that we experience, but also the Savior that has come. Oh, the battle's not done yet. Satan's head has been bruised. But he hasn't been defeated yet. But one day this seed of the woman will not only crush and bruise the head of the serpent, but will cast him into the bottomless pit. The strife, the battle will be over, and we will again return and be taken up to the paradise of God in heaven. Not through our working, not through our activity, but instead through the grace of life that God gives us through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, how we thank you that thousands of years ago, when these words were first pronounced, we see unfolded for us, yes, that which is the basic problem in our lives, our sin and the curse that is due us. But also, we have hidden and revealed to us the hope of a Savior to redeem us. Lord, we pray that in our pain and misery that we experience daily, that we would find comfort and hope in Jesus, that we would know his love and his pity towards us, that we would trust in him, have forgiveness, and know the hope of resurrection and life through him, the new Adam. And may you so fill us with his love that we can be those who do not just mourn ourselves in our pain, but be so filled with your love that we might have sympathy and grace to others. Lord, grant us the grace of Jesus, the new Adam, and true faith in him tonight. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.